Episode 16, Mark Graben. Wait, what? Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm the guest today. I make mistakes too. A couple of poor decisions on my part. We can call these process problems that I have complete ownership of. <laughs> okay. I'm not the victim here. I'm Mark Graben. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes, but what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. Thanks for listening. And now on with the show. Well, hello, I am Jamie Parker of Process Plus Results and the host of the Lean Leadership for Ops Managers podcast. It might be a little bit of a surprise here. I'm actually guest hosting today for a very special episode where I'm going to interview Mark Graben today. (laughs) Now, I know that you know Mark from the host of My Favorite Mistake. What you may not know is he also hosts several other podcasts, including Habitual Excellence, the Lean Whiskey podcast, and also the Lean Blog podcast. So if you want to catch them somewhere else, you may want to check one of those out too. All right, so let's just dive in. We know we want to get straight to those mistakes. So Mark, thank you for having me. Let's Thanks jump for having in. me. Yes, <laughs> let's jump in here. Why don't you tell us about one of your favorite mistakes? Yeah, well, so this is a more recent mistake. It's probably not amongst my favorite, favorite of all time, but I thought it was worth talking through. And so, Jamie, thank you for accepting my introduction to kind of turn the tables after having you um, on the show. Um, So uh, going back about two weeks ago, to jump to the end of what I thought had happened, um, I thought basically due to a combination of an external hard drive crash and a couple of poor decisions on my part, we can call these process problems that I have complete ownership of. (laughs) Okay. Not not the victim here. Um, I thought I had lost across the Habitual Excellence podcast and here on my favorite mistake, um, something like seven podcasts that I had recorded with different guests in a week. I thought the hard drive was toast unrecoverable, gone. And for reasons I can maybe you know explain, I had no backup. Ouch. I had the drive backed up, but that week did not get backed up. And I had already sent emails out to these different guests apologizing profusely that I believe the recording that we had done was lost. And would you please consider re-recording and taking another half hour mm-hmm. out of your busy schedule? Um, so, do you, I don't know, do, do you want to hear a little bit? I'm going to see how interesting of a story I can make this. Um, <laughs> All right. So, uh, you had you had this backup, but not for the last week. So, there was something in place, but now we've got a potential major issue. Tell us more. What happened? Yeah. So, um there were a number of factors and like when the, the work I've done in, in healthcare, not to get too sidetracked on this, the, the quality improvement and patient safety people often talk about something called the Swiss cheese model. You may have a process with different protections in place, but if 
everything goes wrong all at once. Like if you think of all mm -hmm. the slices of cheese, if they were on a, a, an arrow running through them and the slices of cheese could rotate, like all the holes have to line up just perfectly mm -hmm. and occasionally that's gonna happen. What happened um, in, in my situation here was fairly similar. So I you know, record episodes and put them on a external hard drive. And this is a Mac-based system mm -hmm. and I use a service called Backblaze, which automatically continually in the background backs up the hard drive on my laptop and the external drive. And so then I was back in Texas for a week, which is kind of secondary permanent home. And the beauty of the external hard drive is you can plug it into, and at that home, I have an iMac sitting on the desk. So I was using that to record the interviews. I was throwing the files onto the external drive because I knew I would be coming back to California mm -hmm. after a week. So then when I had that crash, so there were a couple of mistakes I made. One was that instead of cop, just co if I had just copied the files from the iMac to the external drive, they would have still been on the iMac. So yes. I moved the files to the external hard drive, <laughs> which I, again, I thought was being backed up continually, automatically by Backblaze. Now I'm not blaming Backblaze. I've been very happy with their service. They helped me recover from the hard drive crash, everything that had been backed up. But I made a bad assumption so I think this is very, you know, uh, sometimes technology companies will blame user error and we feel like, oh, that's not fair. You know, mm -hmm. you should have made it easier to use. Mm -hmm. So um, a, a bad assumption and lack of research on my part is that I assumed that that external hard drive, when it was plugged into the iMac, would also be backed up because that iMac had Backblaze software running on it as well. So the mistake I made was not understanding that it was only going to back up when it was plugged in to my laptop. Yeah. Um, so there were, there were a number of these factors where if the hard drive had failed when I was in California, I would have had a complete full backup thanks to Backblaze. And again, like they're not a sponsor. I'm not blaming them. You know? <laughs> I'm happy with, with Backblaze. So, you know, it's kind of the timing of when the hard drive crashed was yes. maybe <laughs> some bad luck. The holes in the cheese are starting to line up. They I can see it. That, they lined up that week. Um, so there are a number of things that, you know, had I done differently or had circumstances been different, I wouldn't have lost the data. So I learned from this and I could start thinking through different countermeasures of, you know, um, backing up. I, I could have the files on the external drive and I could also back them up in Dropbox. Mm -hmm. uh, I have the storage capacity for that. So I was already down this path of thinking about you know, short-term recovery of apologizing <laughs> to the guests. And most of them were very gracious. I hadn't heard back from a few people. Nobody was mean about it. Yeah. Everyone was very understanding about it, which I appreciate greatly. Um, and I was already thinking through, okay, countermeasures to prevent this from ever happening again. Mm-hmm. But then um, it occurred to me, like, well, maybe the drive isn't as dead as I think it is. And so I found a piece of software that I was able to download, said, okay, it'll scan the drive and tell you if any of the files are recoverable. And if so, you can pay $40 to recover them. So that software helped me quickly realize, okay, the drive isn't completely dead. It appears mm -hmm. there's data there. For some reason, my Macs cannot read the drive. Mm -hmm. 
So it took about 24 hours literally for that software to run and um, realize that, yes, I was actually able to um, recover all of those files. So then I was able to send a happier email. Yes. <laughs> Space Cadet. Wait, never mind. The files are lost. We don't have to re-record. I'm going to now cancel the re-record sessions that had already been scheduled. So in a way, all is well that ends well. I didn't have the data loss, but to frame it in terms of um, you know healthcare or other situations, I would call this a near miss. And mm -hmm. even though it worked out well in the end, there are still huge learning opportunities that I can um, you know that and I, and I can put measures in place to make sure that this potential near miss failure doesn't happen again. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, especially because you did have some countermeasures in place beforehand, right? So, you know, this wasn't brand new problem. You've been podcasting a while, you put some measures in place, right. all the holes lined up. Right. And then you're going to say, oh, I'm going to make changes to my processes now. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I made a couple of changes. Um, one is that, you know, my experience with these external hard drives of different brands whether I'm using them for time machine backups or additional storage, they will fail after a couple of years. Hmm. It's just a matter of when, not if. Oh, I'm thinking I have one. <laughs> I might need to think through well, that on. Well, I mean, and this, so this is part of why I wanted to do the yes. episode as self-indulgent as it might seem, is um, that others can maybe, including, including yourself, yeah. can learn from my mistakes or my near miss. So um, it's a little bit more expensive, but I bought um, is an external drive, not the traditional spinning hard drive, but it's now mm -hmm. an external SSD, solid state drive, which um, could still get corrupted. There are still reasons to back that up, which it's now happily doing, connected to my <laughs> MacBook Pro. And again, thank you, Backblaze. Um, that drive is less likely to fail. There are still risks that I could lose the drive or that it could get corrupted in some way. Um, so I'm still doing the backup. So to me, that's sort of like, you know, maybe now belt and suspenders. Could I add a second pair of suspenders by also keeping the files in something like Google Drive or Dropbox? You know, maybe, maybe I should still consider that. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that as I hear you telling this story is that there was a, a happy ending in this case where for just a $40, you're able to recover all of these. Um, and it strikes me that there's even a lesson there too, because despite that happy ending, you're still making those countermeasure changes in your process. Well, I, th I think it's, a, you know, as we, you know, see in healthcare, um, there, there are so many more near misses than there are actual incidents. So that makes it all the more important to learn from a near miss before it becomes a harm incident or to even be proactive, which is what it seems like maybe you're doing now. You're being proactive, Jamie, in response to my story of what can we do to prevent um, unsafe conditions? Mm -hmm. Let's eliminate risks instead yes. of just responding when there's a known near miss. So I think that's one of the other lessons or reflections that I have from from my day job of, um, you know, kind of trying to apply that here to the podcasting realm. Fantastic. Um, so any other kind of broad general uh, lessons that you think as far as how do you take this and then apply it to maybe something that's not related to your podcast technology? The idea of, of learning from mistakes. Or, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, hopefully, I mean, you know, I think easier said than done, but, you know, trying to find ways to reflect 
mm-hmm. on, on what we've done and not even the things that were like a gut punch, like thinking I'd almost lost this data really <laughs> hit me hard for a day and a half. Um, and you know, I had no one to blame but myself. And I went through all the stages of, of grief in a way. Um, but I thought, okay, well, I've got to learn from it and, um, and, and try to carry on. Kind of like, you know, when I think of situations in my career, um, other mistakes that were formatively, you know, in, in, in a, maybe even a, a deeper way than a potential hard drive crash. Yeah. So, you know, you've got the book Practicing Lean over yeah. here. I'm going to, again, um, hold up a copy of it. Um, you know, Jamie contributed a chapter. I wrote a chapter. Can I share one of the stories? I would. Yes. Let's let's hear one of those stories from a mistake. We had heard your recent mistake, maybe one of the other mistakes that might be one of your favorites. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's a common theme between the book Practicing Lean and this podcast, my favorite mistake of, of learning from what we've done, realizing we're all human. At some point in our career, we're all going to make mistakes. But I think one of the keys is learning from them mm-hmm. and, and moving forward. So one of the stories that I shared in, in my chapter in the book was, you know, thinking back, this was going back to 2004. Um, this is the last manufacturing company that I worked for. And I was in an internal process improvement role. My job title on my business card, which I hated, by the way, <laughs> said lean expert. Oh, wow. And I'm like, I don't like that job title at all. That flies <laughs> in the face of um, what it means to practice something. Like if I'm an expert, does that imply that I know it all? I don't have to continue learning. You react, well, you reacted uh, really strongly to that title. What, what, what comes to mind for you? Well, especially the self-described expert. <laughs> like it might be one thing if I say, oh, you know what? I think we, we need, really need to talk to Mark. He's an expert in lean healthcare where I'm deciding that, you know, from my perspective, you have that expertise, but that self-described expert, I think is, is what I was reacting to. Well, I, I don't even like it if you were to be so kind as to describe <laughs> me an expert in something. Now it was, it, it, it was a corporate decision that I had the certification similar mm-hmm. to a black belt that they called lean expert, but I begged and pleaded, could I please put anything different on my business card, like lean coach or lean facilitator or even no job title? Uh-huh. I think it would have been better, but the bureaucracy said no. Um, so anyway, in that in that organization, as part of that certification, I was expected to go do a project out in a production area. And I went through, long story short, there was an opportunity to use um, some lean methods. And um, I created, uh, you know, if people know the jargon in our field, uh, a production Kanban system of basically... Mm-hmm determining and, and doing the math, what the batch sizes should have been on some different components and how often the setups on those machines should be done and what the sequence of those setups should be. It was a technically correct, well-designed system that got me certified, but it ended up having no benefit to the business. You know why? You can probably guess. <laughs> Tell us why. But nobody used it. <laughs> What point is there in designing this technically Mm -hmm. correct system that would have been helpful, except nobody used it? And now I'm not going to blame the people in that department for Mm -hmm. not using the system. This is on me and to some extent on the organization, Mm -hmm. right? So I'm kind of sent in to swoop in to do the analysis, to come up with a solution, to put it together. 
Um, I, I, yeah, I talked to the people working in the area, but now I recognize I didn't fully engage them as much as I should have. Now I can, you know, re I've reflected on that and that's been inspiration to me to make sure I do more of that in my defense at the risk of sounding like I'm blaming the organization <laughs> I worked for. It was not a highly participatory culture. Yes. I was a little bit afraid that if I had done more to engage folks that I would have gotten in trouble for interrupting them or bothering them or getting in the way of them doing their production work. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't, you know, there's uh, maybe divided responsibility. I could have done more. Like my gut was telling me I need to involve people more even before I realized, all right, oh gosh, nobody's using this. And, um, you know, I, I could, I think within the boundaries of that culture, I could have engaged people because I thought it was the right thing to do. And I, I, I don't know if I wasn't courageous enough or uh, I don't know what yeah. word would be correct to use, but, you know, I've tried to learn from that and realize, you know, for one now as an external consultant, I'm not going to allow myself to be placed into a situation where I'm expected to come in as the expert and design something and hand it off. I, I don't yes. want to do that again. Well, and I think that's, we see that so often, whether it's an external consultant or an internal, you know, yeah. whatever, whether it's continuous improvement or something else where someone, right, it could be in HR, it could be in any, any group that, um, you know, that defines this, creates it, and then hands it over to somebody else to execute. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we, that's the difference between, as, as many uh, put it, um, doing change to people instead of doing change with mm, Yeah. And then I'm curious, I almost feel like I'm back into interviewer mode, but <laughs> I'm going to throw it back to you, Jamie. Um, like at what point do you look at, okay, well, here's what the culture is and what the culture would want me to do or pressure me to do versus me doing what I think is right. That's yeah. tough to navigate. It is tough to navigate. And, um, you know, I actually have seen that, felt this and experienced this recently with uh, COVID-19 and what I believe to be safe precautions. And then, you know, being on site with a client with masks and, and physical distancing and all of that. But then there being some activity where that's not happening and kind of feeling like, whoa, <laughs> you know, what's my, like, I have a responsibility to myself and to, to you know, can be authentic here as well. And I think that's so, so um, common that mm -hmm. we have this. Uh, one of the things that I, I see is that I, I actually th think that culture is local, mm -hmm. meaning that we can have an organizational culture, but really we can still have this local culture based off of the leadership and the team and how we're working together. Yeah. And so that, that's an opportunity to say, gosh, you know what, let's, let's change our culture yeah. together. I've seen that a lot within hospitals. A departmental director can do a lot to create a local mm -hmm. culture within their team. Even if the broader organization as a whole is not engaging everybody in continuous improvement, it can be done locally. There's, there's maybe some risk that someone higher up the chain makes a decision that counteracts some of that, but mm -hmm. that local culture can be pretty resilient, I think. Yeah, I think so too. And, you know, if we, like, we can just look at organizations and see this when you have a leader leave and then it seems like everything changes in that department, whether, whether we would classify it as for the good or for the bad, right? Mm -hmm. And either way, we can see that when a leader leads, leaves or um, it could even be an influencer 
a strong influencer within the team, within the team. Yeah. And, and, you know, one other thought about this situation back at this manufacturing company where if it's something related to health and safety, like you're describing, Mm -hmm. I would probably be more likely to buck the culture. And there are times, you know, going back to even my first job out of college where I made waves and and some people, um, I remember the maintenance manager in particular in the first plant I worked in did not like me because I kept speaking up about safety risks mm-hmm. that were not being fixed. I thought they were not being prioritized properly. Mm-hmm. And calling that out led to, you know, that maintenance leader feeling personally attacked and, you know, but there's a point of like, am I here to make friends or am I here to look out for the safety of the people working in these departments that I'm engineer for? Um, and then there was one other time where from a, a quality standpoint, this this could have ended up being a, a my favorite mistake um, story, but <laughs> long, long story short, and I've blogged a longer version of it, maybe I can put into the show notes. Um, when I was at General Motors, I had uh, a really serious quality concern about some connecting rods, which are metal pieces that are inside the engine. And I thought some really bad decisions were being made and I tried escalating this and I wasn't getting any sort of response through the direct um, kind of proper channels. So I thought, well, I can make one last appeal to my industrial engineering boss who heard me out and agreed, but I think he didn't feel like he could do much, uh, anything about it. So I thought, okay, I need to be more um, dramatic. I need to be more dramatic. And um, so I marched out to the factory, (laughs) grabbed one of these connecting rods. It was dripping in grease carried it through the factory, through the office. If I remember correctly, I was probably dripping grease on the carpet, which I apologize to the the housekeeping uh, crew for that. But basically marched into my boss Sid's office and kind of semi slammed this greasy connecting rod part (laughs) down onto his desk. And I thought, well, I don't know if this is going to end up being a fireable offense Mm-hmm. Um, on some level, um, but it was a point where I felt strongly enough about it and I didn't really care about any consequences. Like it mm-hmm. might have ended up being a favorite mistake story of like, yeah, uh, maybe I lost my cool and that wasn't the best way to make a point, but it was better that I left <laughs> that organization um, anyway. But, you know, to, to his credit, said, you know, Sid realized that, okay, yeah, I, I cared enough about this and it was serious enough. And I explained again what was going on and, you know, he went and and sort of took on that charge as my manager. Yeah. Didn't get fired. Didn't get fired. But there are (laughs) are times when maybe there are uh, noble firings and I don't know if it would have been one. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly choices and decisions we make, um, you know, for our alignment with an organization and, um, you know, and to to feel like we can make those decisions. I know there are a lot of folks who feel like, you know, hey, I can't, for, you know, from economic situation or whatever else. Right. And and that's where it's like one other soapbox issue is, you know, like, uh, in healthcare when, you know, I think we can't lecture people that you should speak up, like um, a, a nurse mm-hmm. or um, an OR uh, tech who um, doesn't speak up about a physician's bad behavior, doesn't speak up about um, an impending safety risk, because people do fear retaliation Mm -hmm. uh, and they do get retaliated against. And so I always think like if I were, um, you know, a a single parent 
Um, you know, I was the only paycheck and I had children at home and I'm going to be really super cautious and I wouldn't expect anyone to jeopardize their job or their family or their home mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, while someone else might be in different personal circumstances where they could make a favorite mistake and, and do something that, you know, I hate to see someone fired for speaking up, but they might also rationalize, hey, that wasn't really a place I was happy at anyway. Yeah. You know, it, it strikes me, I hear a lot, um, you know, kind of in that continuous improvement space, this idea, we talk a lot about, um, you know, the need for senior leadership, engagement, and, and active involvement, and things like that. And when I go to conferences or um, talk to other other practitioners, I hear a lot about the, well, you know, I just don't have that. We don't have that. We don't have that. What do I do? Um, and, you know, there always is, of course, an opportunity to leave if, if that's a, a choice you want to make. Um, but I also I also think that it's so important to recognize the influence we do have sure. and yeah. saying, okay, but I may not be able to change the whole organization, but I bet I can still improve lives right here within my span of influence. Yeah, that's well said. And I'm going to throw it back to you for another plug uh, for your <laughs> podcast, Jamie. Um, our guest host here has been Jamie Parker. Among other things, she has a podcast called Lean Leadership for Ops Managers. I have that correct, right? Yeah. So everyone go um, check that out. And um, I know a lot of your early episodes were you um, were just, you know, were you sharing thoughts? You've started interviewing people occasionally, right? I do. Yeah. So I've had um, a couple of interviews so far, uh, one with an ops manager. Um, We had Ron Pereira joined us to talk about lean daily management. Mm -hmm. And then an upcoming episode or potentially just released is uh, with another couple of practitioners talking about daily meetings. So it's fun to to start having some guests on for sure. Yep. And um, we're going to give a plug again for um, practicing lean. This is also practicing interviewing and practicing podcasting, right? (laughs) Yes, it is. So thank you for practicing and, and being willing to step in and indulge me with an opportunity to, to talk about some mistakes as a guest here on My Favorite Mistake. Thank you, Mark. I'm, I'm glad to be here and glad to see you leading the way. Well, I'm trying. And thank you for, um, for what you're doing. And we'll, we'll just we'll keep at it, right? That's right. All right. Thanks for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to pause and think about your own favorite mistake and how learning from mistakes shapes you personally and professionally. If you're a leader, what can you do to create a culture where it's safe for colleagues to talk openly about mistakes in the spirit of learning? Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. See you next time.